would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis, second chapter. This is part two of a two-part sermon series. Uh, last week, we looked at the biblical foundations of our faith and why it's important for us to understand that foundation. This morning, we're going to address an issue of biblical marriage and, and why that's important uh, in our society today. Uh, uh, Tuesday, we will be having a service just for people to come and pray. And, and uh, Tuesday, our Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States, will begin to hear uh, oral arguments uh, surrounding the issue of same-sex marriage. And, and I told you last Sunday, what I'm praying for is biblical wisdom. And, and, you know, how they handle that. And, and I realized this morning, and I want to take just a moment, a brief in introduction. I realized this morning in Christendom, uh, we are all over the map on this issue. And I'm not here this morning to persuade anybody to what I believe. I, I want to base everything that I say upon what we talked about last week, uh, the foundation of the Word of God. Uh, but there has to be a Christian position and there has to be a Christian response to the issue of same-sex marriage because it is here in our society. But let me say at the outset, it is not about same-sex marriage. This is about marriage the way that God intended it. And, and that deals not only with the homosexual issue, uh, that deals with sex outside of marriage, that deals with adultery, uh, that deals with pornography. Uh, that deals with our sexuality. And, and the problem I see in our world today is that the world has been talking a lot about this issue. And the church for generations has been silent about this issue. And so this morning, and, and I realize you know, this is a personal issue. And there are many in our church family who are touched personally by this issue, many in their families. And, and so what I want to ask you to do is to bear with me, hang with me, because I believe this morning that God has given uh, through his word what we teach, what we do, and why and how we respond in, in a matter that is consistent with Scripture uh, to this issue in our society that's going to be prevalent. Now, I want to say at the outset, when you and I fail to hold ourselves to the standards of the Word of God and what He teaches, models, and says, we reduce the image of God in us and in society. And when we reduce the God-given image that God has created us in, then we limit the ability of our society to ever achieve the ideal that God set. And so it's important for us to understand that standard. And it's important for us to hold ourselves as best as we can to reaching that standard. Now, since the beginning, you and I, mankind, have been consistently seeking to change the things that God says in his word. The Bible says in the beginning he created them male and female. In the image of God he created them. And since the garden 
you and I, mankind, we have been trying to recreate God in our image instead of understanding that we are made in His image. And this is not unique to our society. Israel, the, the patriarchs, the Pharisees, Sadducees came to Jesus and said, why did Moses permit us to grant a divorce? And Jesus said, that has not been God's intent since the beginning. That wasn't what marriage was supposed to be. And so today in society, we have imperfect people. And hear me, there is not one perfect person here this morning. We have imperfect people who hear the perfect standards of God. And what we've done is we've excused ourselves from attaining those standards instead of holding up those standards and under the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit living within us and guiding us, seeking to get there in Christ. Marriage was not created by man. Marriage was created in the heart of God for the fulfillment of man. It's not some idea that we had a long time ago said, hey, let's create this thing called marriage. God did it. And so I want to ask you to hang with me as we go through Genesis and Ephesians, what Paul said. Now, we're not going to go through all of Genesis to Ephesians. We're going to skip. I'm not going to be that long. But I want you to listen to what the Word of God says. If you have your Bibles open there to Genesis chapter 2, if you would stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 22, Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. Now, the first thing that I want us to look at, we're going to look at verses 23, 24, and then go over to Ephesians 5, 32. But the first thing that the, the Bible teaches us here, verse 23, God uh, is, is speaking, Moses is recording, and this is what he says, and the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Now, you go and you read the uh, outline account of creation, Genesis 1, and in Genesis 1, 27, the Bible says, the word of God speaks, that God created them male and female in his image, he created them, that man and woman were created in, in a, a, a general sense, what he's talking about, that outline version in Genesis 1. This here is the detailed version of what takes place. But in that outline, he's saying they were created male and male. Both were created in the image of God. Both were created with equality. Both were created to uphold what God intended from the beginning. And the word there in the Hebrew, Genesis 1.27, is absolute male and absolute female. This is written in the absolutes of what God was talking about. Why is that important? Well, uh, if you're paying attention at all to what's going on in society, uh, I, I tell you, I don't want to hear another word about Bruce Jenner, okay? I don't. But, but that's why that is written the way it is, okay? A natural man, the natural state of man, and the natural state of woman. And this is an issue, okay? Some of you are saying, man, this has nothing to do with who I am. What? Yes, it does. Because God created the home... God set up the home. God has set up marriage. Set up marriage. It was in God's heart, and, and because it was in God's heart, it is the foundational building block for society. 
And so if our society is going to exist the way that God intended it, it's ideal, it is important for you and I to realize what God said and why he said it. And so we read along and you get down to verse 18 of chapter 2 and what had taken place is God has brought Adam or to Adam he has brought all the animals and Adam is going through and he's naming everything and the Bible says verse 18 it is it, there was no suitable helper for Adam and 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 God realized verse 18 of chapter 2 it was not good for man to be alone and so God said verse 18 I will create make for man a suitable helper a and that word there a, a comparable companion is a word that means the complete opposite counterpart that's what he said I'm gonna make the complete opposite counterpart to completion the thing that fits the thing that makes man complete in every area opposite perfect counterpart and so that's what God created when he created woman why? Because God knew it wasn't good for us. We weren't created to be alone. We were created to be in relationships, and God knew that our relationships weren't, uh, to, were better served not from beastly intelligence. There was no suitable companion in the animal kingdom. There was nothing that, that managed man. And so God created equals, image, sight of God, person of God, place of God. He created male and female because they were the perfect opposite counterpart part you've heard the, the, the statement before opposites attract correct that's why because it is our completion that God intended from the beginning that you and I would have in the relationships that God has given he has made a companion of equality a companion that is a helpmate a companion that is the completing opposite part Martin Luther once said that marriage is a school for character it brings out in God's intent the best in us. Now, marriage will either bring out the best in us or to bring out the worst in us, okay? God's ideal is that it bring out the best in us, that we learn in marriage the best way to love. And it is the model of love. It is the model of forgiveness. It is the model of self-sacrifice and service to others where I say to, to my wife and she says to me, you, sir, you, ma'am, are more important than I am, and I learned to model love and forgiveness and service and sacrifice, faith, hope, all of those things the best way God intended them. And that's what marriage in its ideal is supposed to be. But the problem is we are not perfect people. And, and so it is as two imperfect people come together that that marriage provides us the opportunity to begin to mature in our faith to mature in our hope, to mature in our love, to mature in our ability to forgive and our ability to sacrifice and to serve one another. Marriage was given at, uh, by God to be the absolute completion, the absolute perfect part and counterpart. And, 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 and we read what, what, what Adam said there when God created this, this woman from his rib. He brought her and he said, this is woman. And in the Hebrew it is, I am Ish, I am man, and this is Ishai. And we don't get this in the text, but what he's saying is, whoa, man. Get you. Okay, you, 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 you understand, he's excited. Okay. This was perfect. Marriage is supposed to be that thing that excites us, that challenges us in everything that we do and, 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 and where this absolute male and femaleness comes together. What would happen if as husbands and wives we began to model the absoluteness in our homes? 
What would happen to our churches? What would happen to our communities? What would happen to our kids' marriages, our grandkids? Maybe, maybe generations that haven't even been conceived yet. If you and I began to model the absoluteness that God intended in marriage, that marriage fits us for completion. Second thing that this passage teaches us is that marriage fits our needs. Verse 24, God is speaking here. This is a poem that God wrote. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. And that word there uh, for, for leave, it, it describes a relationship that husband and wife have, that they both leave their former households. Okay, there is a breaking of that bond. It's not that we don't have a relationship with our parents anymore, but there is a breaking that, that those two former homes that held us no longer become the primary focus, that this home, this bond, this one flesh relationship that God put together becomes the primary focus of everything. We've got to begin to teach our kids that. And, and, and that, that, that bond, he says, for this reason a man will leave, that breaking and be bonded. And that word for bond means to adhere and to capture by pursuit. What would happen, men? And, and, and guys, hear me. The problem with marriage in, our, in America today is not women. The problem with marriage in America today is men who are not being God's men and standing up and being the leaders of our homes, not dominators of our homes, but the leaders of our homes spiritually. If you and I will begin to lead spiritually in our homes, not in the checkbook, not in where we go and what we do, but lead spiritually in our homes, our homes will begin to be what they're supposed to be. But what would happen if you and I pursued our wives the way we did before we married them? If we were bound to them because the pursuit adhered us to them? That's exactly what the Word of God says, that, that we, we capture by pursuit, that we, we make them the object. Everything that we do, that we pursue that, and, and, and those two bonds are broken in one unit, one flesh. And, and, and that idea for one flesh is that they are one mind and one heart, one body, one soul, that what affects one affects the other. But they are together. It is also for the purpose of the fulfillment of, of natural sexual desires. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7, Paul talked about it. Folks, let me tell you, the world is talking a lot today about sex. And the problem is not the world talking about sex. The problem is the church isn't talking at all about it. We're not teaching the next generation what it means to have a godly sexual relationship. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7 says that it is good for you to be married so that you don't burn with unnatural passions. Okay, sex in marriage is not just about procreation. Okay, God intended sex, it's fun within the context of marriage. But Paul also writes in Romans 1, 24 through 27 and says that sex outside the God-ordained bounds of marriage is a perversion and it will be judged. And that means adultery, fornication, uh, homosexuality, bestiality. I don't care what, what you want to throw in there. If it's outside the bonds of a God-ordained marriage, God said it's a perversion and it's going to be judged. So what we've got to do is we've got to begin to teach it. 
And we've got to begin to teach it the right way and teach it the godly way and teach what God intended in this God-ordained union of a husband and a wife together. Now, hear me. Regardless of what the world says, and like I said, the, the world is all over the map on this issue, but regardless of what the world says, and regardless of what our friends say, and regardless of what we say, nothing changes the Word of God. God's Word is God's Word, period. And God is still God. What you think about Him, what you like about Him, what you don't like about Him or don't appreciate about Him, it doesn't faze Him in the least. Our, our belief that God is who we make Him to be, and that's what we've been doing since the beginning, we've been trying to recreate God in our image, that doesn't affect who God is one bit. And His Word is still His Word. And what you and I have got to begin to do is begin to adjust ourselves to the standard of His Word, not adjusting God to the standard of this world. God's Word is true. It is holy. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is true from the beginning to the end. And it is useful for teaching, correcting, reproof, reproving. All those things we talked about last week so that you and I can be equipped to do the things that God has called us to do. And we need to begin to teach that and to model that in our homes intentionally. How? First of all, we need to begin to teach our kids how to date. Or more importantly, how not to date. Young people, hear me. Kids, hear me. Parents, hear me. Grandparents, hear me. I wish that I had figured this out when I was growing up. And I wish I'd figured this out when my kids were growing up. But the best thing we could teach our kids today is not to date. You know what dating prepares you guys for? Divorce. Because you date somebody for six months and you give them your heart and you love them and you do love them, I'm not going to negate the, the ability you have to love at all. But you love them. And after six months, you quit dating. You break up. And that's just like a divorce. And then you start dating. You date somebody else. You start your freshman year, date first six months, and you start dating somebody else. And you date them for 13 months, and you love them more. But then you break up, and you just got prepared for divorce. That's so what happens when we get married, because that's been our pattern, date, love, break up, date, love, break up. All of a sudden, when the first problem comes in marriage, and they do come, even between two people that God intended to be together, it's just time to break up. No, it's not. There's an absolute bond. I wish that you guys would not date but would date as groups. Four or five of you, load up with four or five of you in two cars and go to the movie and hang out together and sit by different people and talk to different people and don't date exclusively and don't, don't share Coke and popcorn. That's just gross. But, but I'm, I'm, I wish that you would date as a group, protect each other, give each other the support that you need. But guys, they're not going to get that if you and I don't begin to teach that and you and I don't begin to model that. See, marriage is where two imperfect people come together and, and God's ideal begins to be formed. And, and what God intends is what happens. And, and that we hold up the standard of the Word of God in our marriages and in our home and everything that we do. This is what the Word of God says. Period. And, and, and we've got to begin to do that. And the reason is because anytime we reduce God's given image, we reduce the ability of society to attain God's ideal. 
And when we get there, the third thing that I want you to see very quickly, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four, 5. Ephesians chapter 5, very quickly, we're not going to look at the whole chapter. While you're turning there, I'll read you a couple of passages. Verse 22, wives, submit, your, uh, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. But the verse I want to focus on is verse 32. Paul has gone through this whole section, Ephesians 5, 22 through 32, and he's talked about marriage. And in verse 32, this is what he says, This mystery is profound, but I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm not talking about marriage, that's what Paul says. I, this mystery is profound. He's gone through. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. He goes through all the things that marriage is supposed to be. And in verse 32, he says, This mystery, marriage, is profound. But wait a minute. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about Christ and his church. Why? Why did Paul, who wrote scriptural authority, compare the church and Christ to marriage? Because if you read in verse 22 down through verse 31, it's all the things that, that, that Paul's talking about, wives submitting to their husbands, is a model of Christ's submission to the cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It is a model of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It's as you and I learn to understand what marriage is and why does he do that? He says, why did, why did Christ submit to the cross so he could present back to himself a bride without stain, wrinkle, or blemish, perfect, holy in every way? Why? I want you to get this. Sunday morning, imperfect people, believe it or not, walk into church. Nobody here is perfect. But I come in with all my stains and all my wrinkles and all my blemishes. And because I come to this place, somehow, that, that first song that our, our, our praise team led us in, I, I, my hands are dirty. I can't even lift them to you. Somehow, my imperfectness, when it comes into here, it becomes perfect. Why? Because Adam gave up a rib to get a wife, but Christ gave up his life to redeem his bride that you're a part of. And somehow we've got to begin to communicate to a world that is living in its past, that is walking in its sin, that is letting the failures of the past. You see, that's the problem. The world doesn't understand. No, we're not perfect. But when we come here under God's grace, He is perfect. And you and I are His bride. And the world is walking around with their failures and their struggles and their stumbles. Guys, I said this in the early service, I'm, I'm the product of a broken home. But even as I say that and I use the language of the world, I want you to understand my home wasn't broken. 
Yeah, my mom and dad divorced when I was eight years old, but my home wasn't broken because my godly mother began to hold up the standards of the Word of God. She didn't reduce herself. She didn't say, because I didn't get it, you're not going to get it. She said over and over again, here is God's Word. Here is God's counsel. Here is God's standard. Here is God's perfection. And you can, by the grace of God, get there. in an imperfect home that was not God's ideal produced a son who's been married for 27 years to a godly woman and another son who's been married for 28 years to a godly woman. Have our marriages, my brother and I, been perfect? Absolutely not. But two imperfect people coming together in the grace of God perfects in Christ's eyes. And you and I have got to be kent to teach and to model to a world that thinks that when we walk in here, we think somehow we are perfect, that we've got it all figured out. But really what happens on Sunday morning is imperfect people come with their stains and their wrinkles and their blemishes, and we walk in here, and we offer it up to the Lord, and He takes it, and He says, this is good. This is good. That's what God wants. And he wants us to begin to model that to a world that is struggling to find its way in, in, in every single issue. Marriage should be the model of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where we learn to sacrifice. Where we learn to love. Where, where we learn to make those around us without stain or wrinkle or blemish that I don't see. And instead of pointing out the things that are wrong, because there's something wrong with all of us, we start pointing out the grace and the mercy and the love and the hope and the redemption and the restoration that Jesus Christ says is possible. That's what he modeled. And that's what he did. And when you and I begin to get that, it's what David understood David knew he wasn't perfect he knew it read Psalm 51 sometime he knew he had blown it and there's some of you here this morning you think I have blown it and I am beyond help there's some people listening on the radio today who think I have blown it and I am beyond help there are going to be some of you who are watching this on TV next week and you're going to think I've blown it and I'm beyond help read David's Psalm 51 sometime David had blown it and he knew he believed he was beyond help but in his helplessness he found hope and what we've got to begin to do is to show the world imperfect people we come here and God takes our strains our wrinkles and our blemishes and he says you're whole forgiven and that's why David could write I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord man there, there are a lot of people today that can't come to church because they're still wallowing in their past and the enemy's reminding them of their failures and their mistakes and their sin and he is whipping them, and he is beating them, and they can't understand forgiveness. And the problem is they need to see it modeled in us so that when we come to church on Sunday morning, we're glad. There, there's some of us here this morning, 
We need to begin to pray for the marriages of our kids. We need to begin to pray for the marriages of our grandkids. We need to be like Moses who, who said, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to get on my face before you, God, and I'm going to pray, God, even if it means you blot me out of the book, whatever it takes, I'm going to pray. I don't have any grandkids yet. But I need to begin to pray for, for the grace of God for those grandkids that aren't even conceived except in the mind of God for the marriages that they'll have. I got one of my three that are married. I pray every day for the godly women that God will bring into Clay and Colton's life like clockwork. I pray every day for Kara and Matt that their marriage will match up to what God says. Two imperfect people becoming perfect because of God's grace. There's some of us here today, man, we need to get on the altar. We need to get on our face before our God and, and before the next generation and just pray. No one else does it. Moses said, I'll stand in the gap. I don't care. I'll stand in the gap. There's some of you this morning, your world has been rocked. Okay, maybe that ideal that you had, that marriage, didn't make it. And your enemy is sitting there and he is whipping you with that. You failed. No, you didn't. Because the grace of God covers that. Jesus said it is finished, it is done. Maybe you think as a parent you failed. No, you didn't. Because grace says it's covered, it's done. But maybe your world's been rocked. Because your marriage didn't match up the way you thought it should or isn't matching up the way you thought it should. And, and just like King Uzziah, Isaiah saw him and said, he, he died, my world's rocked, I can't go on. What's the Bible say in the year that King Uzziah died? Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Right now maybe your world is rocked. But you can still see the Lord. And his glory can still fill the temple. Hey, newsflash, you're a part of the bride. You're a part of the body. You're a part of the temple. The Holy Spirit can still fill you. There's some of us like Isaiah. We just need to cry out, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And I need you to touch me. Maybe you're here this morning. What really needs to happen in your life? You need to cry out to the Lord and be saved. There is a promise of hope for all who will call upon the name of the Lord.